The Lord has admonished us to pray for one another. As I've indicated to you on many occasions, I have yet to read a, a verse in the Bible that says stop praying. All I hear is pray without ceasing. Keep praying. There are times in your life when you've prayed for something and you just figured God wasn't listening or you just figured he wasn't hearing you or you figured that he didn't want to answer your prayer. But as I've maintained through the years, God answers every prayer, every prayer. Sometimes he says, wait. That's the hardest answer that we get from God because we're impatient. We don't even want to wait 15 seconds for a burger. But sometimes God tells you to wait. I've heard of prayers being answered after you. Well, Raul, who needed a kidney. I don't know how long have we been praying for Raul, two or three years? And just a few months ago, the prayer was answered in the affirmative. Sometimes God answers prayers in the affirmative right away, and we should rejoice over that. And then sometimes God says no, and the door seems to close, and maybe it has. And when God says no, that's when you need an extra measure of his mercy and his grace to deal with the no and to learn from it and to find out that there was an answer. There was something for you to learn even in the no. What is it? Are you a lifelong learner? Not just in terms of reading the Bible, but in terms of learning from life's experiences. And so we go into prayer this morning believing beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's hearing our prayer this morning and he's answering our prayer. Amen? You put your faith and your trust in the God who answers, hears and answers your prayer and you won't go wrong in life. That's a promise I can make after my years of studying God's word and living the faith. Let's pray. And so this morning, Father, we lift up individuals, we lift up nations, we lift up those who need your healing touch and those who need to hear from you this morning. We pray for our country, Lord, that it appears increasingly more on the edge of something, a something we really don't know. But we know, we feel it, most people feel that something is happening here. And so, Father, we would ask you to give an extra measure of wisdom to those in leadership at the county and the state and the township and the nation's levels who know you as Lord and Savior that they might start exerting that wisdom in their discussions with folks we need your wisdom, Lord, because sometimes we get into a knot that none of us can untangle. And we know that you can do that. This morning we pray for the nation of Israel and its safety from all of those nations surrounding it that would destroy it. But we know that you've got your hand on the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. We pray for the nations of the world, Lord, that seems to be, seem to be fighting with one another and wanting to go in a direction that's going to so a uh, spell tragedy and difficulty for the people around the world. We pray for the ministries here at Amwell, Lord, that you might continue to bless us, continue to help us to reach people uh, spiritually, come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, physically in the ways in which we can help support folks who are in need physically, emotionally, Lord, for those who are sad and hurting, and in so many ways, Lord, that you would help us to reach out and touch people's lives. We would pray for those in our congregation and those who are, who are friends of our congregation. We pray for grace this morning at home. Pray for my mom's continued healing in the eye. We pray for Estelle at home this morning, for George in rehab and Lucy at home this morning. Continued answered prayers for Terry, Sal, Diane, and Marco, Butch and Linda in Florida. 
Pray for Jane's sisters for health issues. Pray for Donna uh, and her family at the loss of Mother Doris. We thank you, Father, that uh, we were able to have a service that was uh, honoring to you and honoring to her. Pray for salvation for Linda's family and Ringo's unspoken requests, the things that we can't articulate but we need your answer to. Pray for Tracy's mother Mary and her health issues. Continued prayer for April, Lord, that you would allow these doctors to have their minds opened up to what's happening in her body. Continued prayer for Ed out in Pennsylvania for his uh, surgery on his uh, arm to be continue to heal. For John in Brooklyn with pancreatic cancer. Pray for David's son in California who needs salvation. Pray for Tom's mother, Madeline, who is uh, going to be home today. We pray a blessing upon her. Pray for Lisa with her back issues. And we just pray, Lord, that if surgery is in the offing, if it's something you want, that that would occur soon to give her aid, help to reduce her pain. Pray for Raul as he continues to heal. Pray for Dave's friend Marilyn at stage four cancer who's in hospice. Pray for Nancy, uh, James' friend who's in hospice also. Uh, for Nancy, Becky's mother, in rehab. Uh, for Mary Hall, who fell this morning, last night, we pray, Father, that you would just help her, heal her, strengthen her. And I pray for anybody who needs your healing touch this morning that that would happen because we believe in miracles. We believe that you are the great physician. We believe that you can heal whether you use the doctor, the medication, the surgery, the rehab, and even a divine touch. And so we pray a blessing upon each of these folks in a special way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Children's Church, I guess they sneaked out already, so... We just got through with uh, celebrating the resurrection and Good Friday and thinking about the things that lead to our salvation on the cross. This morning I'd like to talk to you about truths that transform. There are things that we can learn from Jesus' life and that we can learn in Scripture that can change your life. Because Jesus has been changing lives for thousands of years and I'd like to share some of that with you. We've been, we remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of life over the last couple of weeks, and at the same time, entertainment media on television and whatnot have made their annual trek through the dusty streets of Jerusalem in search of the real Jesus. You want the real Jesus, folks? Here he is. You don't have to go too far. Open the book. Turn the cover. Turn the pages. The real Jesus of the Discovery Channel and CNN and NBC bears no resemblance to the Jesus of Scripture. We don't go to TV. We don't go to the folks there to find out who Jesus is. Again, we go back to the book. What they present on television is the Jesus of somebody's imagination, not the real Jesus. For the skeptic, the cynic, and the atheist, the Jesus of the Bible is a myth. That has been formulated over centuries. Do you trust folks who believe that? To tell you about Jesus? He may have been a good man, they say, or a great teacher, but he was not God in the flesh come to earth. Truth be told, it's the Jesus of the Bible who sends shivers up the spine of the liberal Bible scholars. When they start to think of who that real Jesus is, it'll just scare them because they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that sometimes they're going to be accountable to that Jesus. 
They don't like that idea because it's Jesus whose truths transform people's lives. He's not a God who lived away back there. He's not a man who lived away back there. He's a God who lives in the lives of those who have received Christ as Savior. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's living in you right now if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? Do you believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt? Because if you believe that, that's one of the truths that transform. I want to take you back to the fundamentals, the very basics of our faith, the truths of Jesus Christ. As we believers must never compromise, must never modify, must never water down. Listen, there are things, that areas that we can disagree on. Not everybody baptizes the same way, right? Not everybody has communion the same way. Not everybody sings the same hymns. There are areas that we don't have to be perfect on, don't have to all agree on. But having said that, there are some things we could never, ever compromise, and those are the, chief, are the truth of Jesus Christ. And I want to share those with you this morning. It's good to be reminded of whom we serve and why we serve Him. And it's good to be reminded of what we believe and why we believe it. So many people say, I believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah? Why? Could you tell me in a few sentences who Jesus is? Can you tell me in a few sentences what His life was all about? Do you know Him personally as your Lord and Savior? He's not the God away up there either. He's not the God simply locked up in the pages of the Bible. He's alive and living in you today. So I'd like to begin our journey back by looking at the life of Jesus Christ beginning at his birth. So if you have your Bibles, it's Matthew chapter 1, and it's verses 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1. So we don't, this is not Christmas. Oh, no. <laughs> For me, every day is Christmas. It's Jesus coming to earth. Now, the birth of Jesus was on this wise. Here's how it happened. When his mother Mary was espoused, they were engaged to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then, Jesus, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, he was a good guy, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, why, thou, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. It's a miracle. Verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now this all was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, 750 years before the actual event. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Not only was Jesus' conception an act of God, but so was the baby's delivery. Have you ever thought about that? What happened after he was born? Given the medical and sanitary conditions of the time, giving birth to any baby would have been a minor miracle. So what's history tell us about those times and delivering a baby? 
In those times during delivery, a mother was usually assisted by a midwife. How many of you mothers had a midwife? You did? There you go. You can relate this morning. Most people, it's hospitals. And a midwife was called a woman specially experienced in helping with childbirth. Some midwives were simply other mothers who assisted by virtue of their own experience giving birth. Others were professionals who, for whom midwifery was a full-time occupation. In addition to delivering the baby, they also gave comfort, advice, and encouragement to women in labor. Mary didn't have the benefit of a midwife. The account of Jesus' birth in Luke 2.7 suggests Mary and Joseph were alone when she gave birth to Jesus. 2,000 years ago, childbirth was difficult and dangerous for a mother and a child, and I'd like to give you 10 reasons why that was the case. Number one, and this is history and this is research, there were no such things as hospital settings that were sanitary. Everybody wants everything. We're still wiping bacteria off everything, aren't we? We still are selling those little pads in the, in the special antibiotic material and wiping everything down. I remember them in the, at the height of the pandemic. Wipe everything because the bugs are growing on there. Turned out that wasn't the case, but boy, we sure bought a lot of those antiseptic things. So secondly, babies were usually born at home, and they didn't have what they used to call linoleum. My brother played it on the accordion, and I played on the linoleum. There was no musical instrument in your pastor's life. So they, they were born on a dirt floor, not sanitary, not antiseptic. Three, farm animals sometimes shared living quarters. So if you could tell Bessie to move over, you might have a place to sleep tonight. Number four, water used to cleanse the baby was often polluted. We talk about clean water as a right. Well, there was no such right back in those days. The water was polluted in many cases. It wasn't fresh running water in many cases. Six, five, baby clothing was washed in the same polluted water. So it kept reusing the same clothing washed in the same dirty water in many cases. Number six, disease-bearing flies and insects quickly found the baby. They found mother's milk on the lips. They attracted to the baby's scent. And they began to attack those children. Insects, flies, we all know how unsanitary that can be. And it could even be more unsanitary in those days by virtue of the environment that they were in. Number seven, newborn babies slept with their mother. So mother could nurse the baby in the middle of the night. But guess what? Number eight, occasionally mothers would roll over on their babies and suffocate them. That was the end of that. Number nine, Infant mortality could be as high as 90%. Nine out of 10 babies could die. Number 10, if a baby survived the first 30 days, it stood a good chance of growing into adulthood. This was the challenges that, that faced Mother Mary and the baby Jesus. His birth was a miracle, and the fact that he was, make, was able to get through these, uh, this obstacle course of just these 10 things that was a miracle. God was watching over him. The same God that was watching over Mary and Jesus and Joseph is the same God that's watching over you. Amen? You can trust him. This baby's survival was 
of paramount importance because as a man, he had an appointment with destiny. His humble birth did not foretell that as a man, he would become the central figure of human history. There are five ways in which Jesus was and is the very definition of human history because history is his story. Amen? His story. As he grew up into a child, he learned certain things. Number one, Luke 2, 41 to 52 tells us that men were astonished. You may remember the account of Jesus going into the temple as a young man. And he sat with the rabbis and the great teachers of his time. And they asked him questions that they would ask one another as scholars. And Jesus was answering every one of these questions as if all his life he had been nothing other than a scholar tutored by the greatest scholars and rabbis of his time. He knew all the answers. He knew everything there was to be answered about God. He knew everything that there was to be answered about humanity. He knew the heart of man at that young and tender age. As the years passed, it became apparent to all who knew him that he possessed the secrets of a balanced life. That his service was to God and man that he was a strong mind and a healthy body, that he knew his purpose and mission in life. He grew into maturity, prepared for a three-year ministry, unrelenting activity. That ministry touched people's lives. He healed the stick. He restored the blind. He made the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the numb to speak. He healed the brokenhearted and gave hope to those who lived without hope. This is what Jesus did for three years in addition to the other things of speech. He touched people's lives. It seemed to me that almost every time Jesus was going to heal somebody, he came to them and put his hands on them. He was a very tactile God. He wanted to be in touch with you and you and you. And so that touch was necessary. He wanted you to feel his power and his presence. Number two, the gospel reveals the power and truths of his teachings. Jesus taught us about the nature of God from a very unique experience. He taught from his experience because he is the second person of the Trinity. Imagine God coming down and speaking to us about God. I guess we learned some interesting secrets and some interesting truths we had never known before. As the second person of the Trinity, he could teach with authority about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He could explain it in ways that could never be understood before. And this was part of his mission. This was part of his, his birth. This was part of the reason he survived all those years and grew into the man he was. He spoke to us of the love and care that the Father God extended to all his creation, whether that creation was a sparrow or whether it was a human being. He told us that the Holy Spirit is a person and not an influence nor a philosophical concept. Jesus said the Holy Spirit lives in the heart of those who have accepted Christ as Savior where he gifts them. Every person here has a spiritual gift if you know Christ as your Savior. Your goal is to find out what that gift is. Our goal is to help you to be able to do that. When we get to discipleship too, which I'm going over now to edit, there is a whole section on how to find your spiritual gift. A whole section on that. So you're going to be able to do that with the, the new discipling ministry. 
In number three, in parables and sermons, Jesus taught us how to enjoy a quality of life. When Jesus talked about life and life more abundantly, he was talking about quality, not necessarily quantity. He doesn't promise you a long life, but he does promise you that the life you have can be a quality life. Not just walking around in life, not knowing where to turn and who to look and and what your life is all about, not confusion, but a life with purpose, a life with meaning, a life that you can say when you've lived it, like giving the, uh, the discussion about Doris at her funeral. Doris lived, this is uh, the wonderful life that we shared on the funeral. She had, she had a wonderful life because she was a believer in Jesus Christ. She had a wonderful life because she wanted to share Jesus with people. She had a wonderful life because she was not ashamed to be a Christian and not ashamed to tell other people about it. She knew the deep secrets of Jesus because she had, fun, she had studied about it. Here's a sampling of Jesus' teaches. He taught us how to be aware and to be aware of hypocrisy in our own life and in the life of others. Jesus was big on that topic. Jesus had no problem calling religious people hypocrites. And he was devastating about it because to Jesus, that was one of the worst things you could be telling other people how they should live, and then you don't live like that? And he called that out every chance he got. He taught us to avoid negative stinking thinking and negative behavior, gossip, jealousy, materialism, anxiety, fear, and anger. He spoke to it. He wasn't afraid to speak to people in power and authority. He wasn't afraid to speak to people for fear that they would silence him. Guess what? He knew that they were attempting to silence him, and he wasn't going to be quiet. He knew that people were out to take his life and really shut him down and take him off the, off the face of the earth. But guess what? It didn't stop him. He was unashamed and he was unafraid. And I say that in 2023, we should be following his example. Amen? Unashamed and unafraid. He taught us, to, he taught us of the uncertainty of life and the certainty of death. He taught, while there seems to be little or no accountability for evil on earth, we will all one day give accountable, to God, give, account our, give accountable our lives to God in the end. He taught God is watching over us, that he knows our every secret and hears our every prayer. The Father knows your pain and your grief. He taught us how to live a balanced life, body, mind, and spirit. All of these things he taught. He taught the only path to God's blessing and salvation came by way of the cross. Jesus shed blood, death, burial, and resurrection. He taught us how to live in peace, and he taught us how to be a peacemaker. Number four, by his life, we learn the full measure of his love. When he quietly, willingly gave up his life for, on a cruel cross, in those moments, we learned the full measure of his forgiveness. He was spat upon, he was beaten, he was denied, he was betrayed, he was cursed, he was crucified. And after all that, as he hung on that cross, a whisper could be heard around the world for the ages. And that whisper came out like this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Beaten spit upon, cursed, hated, every terrible imagination that we could do. 
And his only response is that you and I be forgiven. The Apostle Paul says, if Jesus had not been born, had he not died for our sins and not risen from the grave, humanity would still be in its sin. We would be hopeless. Death and the grave would be our ultimate destination. But because he was born and because he lived, tens of millions of lives have been transformed, have been changed. Key verse here is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You have a second chance. You've been given a clean slate. It doesn't matter to God what you've done. It matters to God as if you've confessed those things, asked his forgiveness, asked the Holy Spirit to clean you up, Here's what God promises in return. If you confess your sin, he guarantees you that he will cleanse you of that. He'll wash away your sins. He'll never remember. Unlike people, God will never bring your past sins that you've confessed. He'll never throw them back at you in your face and make you feel guilty and terrible about it. He won't do that. He's promised to forgive you. And you now need to learn to forgive yourself. And don't carry along that stuff. Is that verse true, that all things become new? Do people who put their faith and trust in Jesus and the, of the Bible experience a real change in their life? I want to give you two extreme cases that are true. Two true, real experience cases. Two stories. The first one asks the question, can Jesus change the mind of a skeptic? Somebody who doesn't believe so I'll share a very smart skeptic with you. One of the century's greatest writers was C.S. Lewis, who was a professor at Oxford and later Cambridge. Lewis was born in Belfast, Ireland, was raised in a nominal Protestant family. When he was still a child, his mother died. This experience, combined with a skeptical tutor who had taught him to think critically, led Lewis to become an atheist early in life. Or at the very least, he questioned whether there was a God. He was wounded in World War I, which led him to conclude, quote, there was nothing worth pursuing besides the things of the mind and the pleasures of the flesh, end quote. However, some of his favorite writers, including G.K. Chesterton and George MacDonald, were decidedly Christian. Their writings and some Christian friends played an important part in Lewis's reluctant conversion, which took place when he was in his early 30s. He became probably the greatest Christian writer of the century, and certainly one of the greatest Christian writers in all of Christian history. Increasingly, Time Magazine thought enough of his writings to do a cover story on him. To this day, the books are still, well selling, are still selling well and are used by God to bring people to Christ. The skeptic becomes the Christian. Are you here this morning, skeptical? Can God change your skepticism? Can God keep you from staying on the fence and get off the fence and put your faith in Christ? Number two, can Jesus change the heart that is filled with hate? How many people hate this morning? How many people can't let go of it? How many people are obsessed with it? How many people are prisoners to it? How many people have built a prison around themselves in which they keep their hate locked up? locked in their heart. Even the most 
inveterate hatred can be removed by Christ. Sergeant Jacob DeShazer was a bombardier in General Doolittle's squadron. While bombing Japan in World War II, DeShazer's plane was crippled by anti-aircraft fire. He and his crew bailed out and were captured. DeShazer was placed in a five-foot-wide cell in a prison camp. He was treated with the most horrible forms of cruelty. He developed an intense hatred for the Japanese guards who tortured him. All he wanted was to get his hands on one of those guards' throats and squeeze the life out of him. Day by day, his hatred grew until it became a veritable mountain. He lived for only one reason, and that was to seek revenge on his torturers. One day, a Bible was brought into the prison. It passed around and finally came to DeShazer. He read it. He devoured it eagerly, and he came across the words of Jesus who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The love of Christ melted that mountain of hatred inside Jacob de Shazer and filled him with the joy of Jesus Christ. He said, my heart is filled with joy and I wouldn't have traded places here with anyone. Imagine. Soon after that, a guard slammed a cell door under Shazer's barefoot and began kicking him at the foot with a hobnailed boot. De Shazer said nothing but thought of Jesus' words, love your enemies. That guard's attitude changed substantially. When the war was over, DeShazer returned home. He determined that God wanted him to go back to Japan, not to seek revenge, but rather as a missionary to bring the love of Christ, and that's what he did. The story of Jacob DeShazer's conversion and return to Japan was printed in a tract, a little piece of paper, two, four pages maybe. And one day a Japanese man who was disheartened, broken, dejected, hopeless, was given that tract by an American stranger. He read the tract, and his heart was touched. He sought out Christian missionaries and the Bible. He too was converted. His name was Captain Mitsuo Fuchida. He was the Japanese officer who spearheaded the 1941 attack on Pearl Harbor. December 7th. The very man who had declared, Torah, 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 gave his heart and life over to Jesus Christ. He too began to preach the gospel of Christ to people all over Japan and America. He even came back to Pearl Harbor on the 25th anniversary of the attack with a gift in hand for survivors, a Bible. With Luke 23, 34 inscribed in it. Guess what that verse is? Father, forgive them. Fuchida asked for forgiveness for he had acted a quarter of a century earlier in moral ignorance. Fuchita's story is well told in the book, Good Samurai, written by the same team that wrote, At Dawn We Slept. So, question to you. Can God clean up an angry heart filled with hatred? Can you look at your heart this morning? My heart, can we look at our own heart this morning? Be there any anger in there? Any hatred? Number five, and finally, the baby whose birth was heralded by angels, shepherds, and wise men was born with a mission, to be the savior of the world and transform lives. That salvation comes to people one by one. Salvation for the skeptic, salvation for the bitter, the angry, and the hurting, salvation for the powerful and the weak. Acts 2.21, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
you don't know Christ as your, as your Savior, that verse is for you. If you do know Christ as your Savior, is there someone in your life who doesn't? That verse is for them. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know him this morning? How can I know Jesus? Well, you've just listened to a small portion of his life. Does it compel you? Do you want to follow that person? If you do, if you're compelled by the story of Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw everyone to myself. My story is a wonderful story. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. Tell him you want to follow him. Ask him to come into your heart this morning. Tell him that you want to be a Christian and you need his help. The Bible says if we confess it, he'll forgive it. If we ask him to his heart, ask, ask Jesus into our heart, the Holy Spirit will come right away. And then if we need help living that life, he's promised to give us help and help ours. Part of the reason we exist is to share the scripture, share truth with those who know Jesus Christ, help them to strengthen their grip on their faith. That's why we're here. Let's pray. And so, Father, I just prayed this morning, if there be any here who do not know Christ as Savior, that this would be a time to do that. If you don't know Christ and you've prayed that prayer of asking Jesus to forgive you of your sin and come into your heart, please come over and see me later. Now, Father, we pray your blessing upon the remainder of our time together. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And all God's people said, amen. amen.